Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Sports card collections are flying off the shelves in this growing competitive market, which is why I have an opportunity for you. Check out The Break Junkies on Instagram, at The Break Junkies, partnered with Sports Card Media, at Sports Card Mania 305, or SportsCardMania.net. Find a variety of box collections with all the top brands, such as Panini, Tops, Prism, and more for every sport. They even have a large assortment of Pokemon packs and Funko Pops. Every stream has giveaways and affordable breaks when you watch the Break Junkies on Instagram. So give them a follow at the Break Junkies and inquire about their inventory today when you go to sportscardmania.net, the number one source for your collection. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. MD Nation to the show. You are watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show streaming to you live on Belly Up TV powered by Tiki Live at bellyup.tv. You can catch us on your Roku channel when you download the Belly Up Sports channel on there. Catch all the 24-7 live content coming to you 365 all the time. The best up-and-coming sports talk content you will find out there for free and if you go to tiki live you can check us out on apple and all those other products not to mention you can download us on your favorite podcasting app after the show so you can listen to us anytime you want to you can listen to us on burns radio b-u-r-n-s on thursdays and fridays at four o'clock coming up and not to mention, subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. You will never miss any content whatsoever. But I'm excited here today, and I'm your host, Dan Mater. We're talking about the running back consistency grades. Now, if you guys remember, if you are with us beforehand, before the Super Bowl, obviously when we did the MD's DFS contest, the last contest for the NFL playoffs, we'll be announcing the winner on social media. If you follow us at Billy up MDFF show, the winner is going to win one championship football from championshipfootballs.com. That contest will be back come September, but we're in the, we're officially in full throttle into the off season. We did the quarterback consistency grades that week of the pro Bowl, which, you know, nobody cared about anyway. So we wanted to dabble in off season content now it's going to be full throttle. 
We're going to be back with new episodes every Wednesday at 9 p.m. on Belly Up TV. We'll be rebroadcasted throughout the week at our normal times like we would during the regular season. So Sundays at 12 o'clock, Mondays at 9.30, and then Tuesday through Friday at 9 p.m. That's all on BellyUp.TV. But once a week, we'll have new content for you as we break down off-season stuff, getting you ready for next year, learning the lessons from 2021 and applying them to 2022. Not to mention all the NFL draft and dynasty analysis we're going to give you throughout the offseason. This is going to be the very first year that the MD's Fantasy Football Show is not taking any time off. We used to take about a month off. We would come back after the Super Bowl, be off until free agency. Not doing that this year. Fantasy football is a year-round sport, whether it's preparing for a redraft, playing in dynasty leagues, getting ready for best ball. And of course, we have the NFL draft coming up. We had our big event last year. We had over 50 guests. We plan on doing the exact same thing and making it even better this season. So that's why I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop for MD Nation. And we're not going to. So again, like I said, today is the running back consistency grades. Once we go through all these episodes, we have wide receivers next week, tight ends after that. These consistency grades will be up and available to you on bellyupfantasysports.com. But I digress. Let's hop into the real content of the evening. So first and foremost, as you could figure, Jonathan Taylor is the number one consistent running back. Not only was he the number one scoring running back, but he's the number one consistent running back. No real surprise there. And we flip it up for you here on the, if you're watching us on the live screen, we have the graph up there for you. If not, and you're listening along to the podcast, don't worry, I'm going to describe it all to you. 88% of the time, Jonathan Taylor finished as a starting running back. Now, again, if you weren't with the quarterback consistency grades, we do our grades a little bit differently. I based it off how many times you finished in the top five from six to 12, from 13 to 24, finished as a flex player. And then I have the busts, and then I have the grades as far as your overall grades go are concerned, your start and your non-start. Well, it's real simple. The non-start percentage is anytime you finished outside the top 24. If you finished within the top 24, you, had, you were a starter because you were at least an RB2. And I look at finishes. I don't look at points scored because points scored as far as where you finished that week is kind of irrelevant in, in some cases. Now, I don't want to say like your average per point scored is not important because it absolutely is. But what gets carried away sometimes, you get caught up in the points, but you realize like, hey, you know what? Everyone wound up having a good week that week as a running back or everyone had a bad week as a running back. But the most important thing is, was the guy that you were starting, did he give you the advantage over your opponents? Did he finish inside the top 24 more times than not? That's more important to me than anything else because that means he gave you an advantage more often than anybody else, regardless of the actual points scored per game. And that's why we do our grades a little bit differently here. And, you know, not again, not saying anybody else is right or wrong, but just choosing to look at it from a different perspective. So Jonathan Taylor was 88% inside the top 24. He actually coincidentally tied for first with seven top five finishes. Now, none of this is a surprise. Carson Wentz came in. We weren't sure. Could Carson Wentz find the MVP magic that he had 
with Frank Reich back when he was a Philadelphia Eagle? And the short answer to that was not really. Now, was it all totally his fault? I don't believe it was. I don't think the Colts had a ton of weapons to begin with. But regardless of all that, and regardless of what happens to Carson Wentz in the offseason, this team, this offense has turned over to Jonathan Taylor. And if you're asking right now, what happens to Carson Wentz with all this, you know, rumors about the Colts wanting to possibly dump him? Could they actually drop him? That's not going to happen because they're not going to have a better option at the quarterback position. They had to give up a first round pick for him because he played enough. You can't justify cutting a quarterback, a starting quarterback, regardless of his ups and downs, when you just gave up a first round pick for him. You can't do it. Who's going to be better? Sam Ellinger is not better. Who are the Colts going to get? They're not really a serious contender in the running for guys like Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson. They're not in that category because, again, because they gave up that first-round pick already, they don't have the resources that other teams do to make those kind of trades. There aren't really great guys available in free agency, and I will you'll hear this throughout the offseason. There is not, I repeat, is not a franchise quarterback available in this draft, and even there was. Again, the Colts don't have a first-round pick. So no matter how you dice it up, Carson Wentz, there's a better chance than not he's going to be a starting quarterback next year. But even if he's not, this is Jonathan Taylor's offense to stay. And besides being the number one running back in scoring last year, and as you can see these grades, being tied with Austin Eckler for being the number one consistent running back, he was also one of the very few running backs that were able to last all 17 games. And there's a lot to be said for that. When you look at this past year and how many people got burned drafting these running backs in the first round to find somebody like a Jonathan Taylor who was able to prove that he could last a full 17-game season in is of itself valuable. Do I think Jonathan Taylor should be the number one running back, not just in redraft, but in dynasty? Absolutely. The offensive line is there to stay. Frank Reich is still there. The offense will be in place. The biggest key here, and I have this note written down, is that Naeem Hines, and this is where I was wrong on Jonathan Taylor last year. If you've been with the show, I did not want to draft Jonathan Taylor at his ADP, which is about the mid-first round as it was last year. My reason being is that the history up until that point had been Frank Reich, no matter how good his running back typically was wind up being, his starting running back, he'd always find a reason to bring in a third down specialist, to put him in a committee at some kind of capacity. And when Naeem Hines got that contract extension and the way the season actually started off for the first three weeks, I thought it was just going to be more of the same. But it wasn't. Eventually, he got smart and realized Jonathan Taylor needs to be fed the ball and fed it often. And in spite of Naeem Hines' contract extension, his targets decreased from 76 to 57 on the season. Jonathan Taylor, coincidentally, improved to 51 targets from 39 a season ago. Now, why is that important? When you have Jonathan Taylor, who we know is a guy who's going to get, you know, 18, 20 carries a game, mostly, mostly want his value for his ability on the ground, his goal line potential. You need that floor. When you're talking about the number one running back overall, you need to make sure he has that floor to back it up. And Taylor does. Taylor does because he's getting a little bit more involved and because he was so good and could not be denied, Naeem Hines took a little bit of a step back as far as his overall usage goes. So that's why it's ultra important that Taylor started to establish himself to be too good to get off the field, basically. 
And I don't see why that wouldn't continue. And we're going to have discussions about Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry. And can you make the argument that maybe somebody, one of those guys should still be the RB1 taken, especially in redraft leagues next year? Sure, the argument can be had. But because John Taylor did it and played all 17 games while doing it, it's going to be hard to say he should not be the number one guy again. But let's talk about our guy who tied him in consistency grades in number two. And that was Austin Eckler. As you saw in the graph, he was 88% a starter. Now, the big thing about Eckler was that his ADP last year was a top second-round pick. But he wasn't quite in that first round. The reason being the history up until that point, and granted, some of it had been with Melvin Gordon, but you know, the year 2020, he wasn't, he didn't have Melvin Gordon on the team. And the same thing happened. They turned to somebody else to take that goal line role. Myself and many others included were anticipating Austin Eckler continuing on the path of where he doesn't necessarily get all the goal line carries in the world. That changed. That was an unforeseen change and a big reason why Austin Eckler wound up being the RB1, the elite RB1 that he was. He was seventh in goal line carries, second in red zone touches overall. That's huge. Does that continue? I think that's going to be the major question heading into 2022. Do you believe that continues? And a running back of his stature continuing to get goal line type work, short yardage situation type work. I think that remains to be true if they continue to bring back guys like Larry Roundtree and Joshua Kelly. I think that could be true. We know Justin Jackson about the same body type, so he's not really a threat to take away that type of role. Given that Joshua Kelly, though, and Larry Roundtree both were so inefficient, and I don't believe the Chargers in an ideal world are going to continue to throw Austin Eckler at his frame into those situations if they can at all help it. I am really looking for the Chargers to potentially sign somebody to take that kind of position on the team to take that goal line role, to take that short yardage role, to take that thunder role, if you will. So I don't know if this is necessarily going to be repeatable, but if the roster is as it stands today, it might be. But that was the big thing as to why Austin Eckler was so good and better than what most people anticipated him being, because he got the opportunities that no one expected him to have. That brings us to our number three, though. And this, one of my favorite things about the consistency grades is that you get into this perception versus reality kind of evidence, prove it type of thing. And it it's really gets intriguing to me when, when this happens. So Josh Jacobs comes in at my number three running back consistency grade. He was a top 24 guy 80% of the time. Has the number three spot solely all to himself. But of course, if you had Josh Jacobs, you were like, well, wait a minute. He wasn't an elite top five back. No, he was not. He was RB14, 14th in scoring last season. So he was a high-end RB2. So why is he so elite when it comes to consistency? Well, he finished. <laughs> he finished so consistently as an RB2. He didn't bust hardly. Was it flashy? Absolutely not. But what was the key to Josh Jacob being so consistent, yet never really feeling like he was the actual reason you won a week? And to be clear, he never had a top five finish. So it's impressive to come in as the number three running back in a consistency grade and never have had a top five finish. 
Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. What changed for Josh Jacobs last season? John Gruden was fired. The second John Gruden was fired, all of a sudden, Josh Jacobs did something we have all in the fantasy industry have been clamoring for him to be able to do, and that's catch the football. Kenyon Drake wasn't as much of a factor, slash got hurt. Jalen Rashard, kind of the same thing, wasn't as much of a factor, slash got hurt. But they allowed Jacobs to catch the ball. They allowed him to be a full workhorse. Despite it being a terrible offensive line, despite all the things surrounding the Raiders to begin with, he got to do what he does best. What we've all believed he does best, which is catch the football. But more importantly, be a workhorse back. Played 15 games out of 17. That's pretty good when you compare him to other RB1s. Now, he had a... 273 carries in 2020. That decreased to 217 in 2021. But 45 targets increased to 64. So if you're asking yourselves when you go into these drafts, how important is it for running backs to get targets? That's your answer right there. Josh Jacobs is the perfect answer to that. Because he's showing you, even if his offensive line is terrible and he can only get 3.94 yards a carry. Even if he's not always scoring touchdowns, if he's allowed to be heavily involved in the passing game, his floor is as safe as they come. And that's why he came in as the RB3. It's vitally important that that was the case. Let's continue on that thread. Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette came in at RB4 as far as consistency is concerned. I don't think this should go as a surprise that everyone should pick up right away after what I just said about Josh Jacobs, that the reason he's RB4 is, again, because of the targets. Now, he got to dominate this year. He got to play well ahead of Ronald Jones. Playoff Lenny got to keep the momentum. I think that was the big case of it, what he did in the playoffs. I think Bruce Arians just allowed him to be the workhorse. No one really anticipated him being the workhorse, at least not right away from week one. We all suspected that Ronald Jones would still have a significant enough role, but... And we were also curious to see, you know, Giovanni Bernard. They had, they had signed him. Would he assume a James White-like role under Tom Brady? That never really came to fruition either, not consistently anyway. And Fournette got to dominate the targets. But Fournette's one of those guys where it's, you know, you're looking ahead to next year, there's a lot of question marks. One, he's an unrestricted free agent. He could go anywhere. The Bucks don't have Tom Brady anymore. So we don't, Leonard Fournette, as far as what his value is, dynasty, what it is possibly 2022, it's all going to be contingent on what situation he winds up landing himself into. And no matter where he goes, I don't know if I can imagine a scenario in which he's getting the targets that he was getting with Tom Brady as his quarterback. I think everybody can pretty much agree with that. So Fournette, for him, great finish, but going to be interesting to see how that thing goes forward. Now, Like a Jonathan Taylor, this other guy, this next guy, also played 17 games as a workhorse back. 
And it's going to be really interesting to see where he finishes. So Najee Harris comes in as my number five consistent running back. 76% of the time, he finished as a starter, finished as a top 24 player. Now, kind of like he has a little bit of a, a Jonathan Taylor mixed with a Josh Jacobs complex, right? Because it wasn't flashy. It wasn't efficient. That offensive line was horrible. Ben made it almost unbearable to watch at times. But he tied for first in the league in targets with Austin Eckler. Again, going back to the targets being a big reason why. Najee Harris, you hear this all the time in the fantasy industry. Volume wins all. If you're going through your process, you usually go with the guy who gets the most volume, in particular the running back position. No one's a better example of that than Najee Harris. He is the perfect prime guy of, yeah, you need volume. As long as you get the volume, you're going to have an elite running back. This guy had over 300 carries. He had 94 targets. Now the question becomes, what happens in the future? I don't question that he continues being a workhorse which is why I think he ultimately will still be a first-round pick and should be probably number two the Jonathan Taylor in startup dynasty leagues this season, too. You would think, no matter what the Steelers wind up doing at quarterback, unless they were to pull off a deal for an Aaron Rodgers, which I don't think they're in as good a position to do like a Denver Bronco team is, you would think their number one priority no matter who their quarterback winds up being between the more likelihood of a Mason Rudolph or a Dwayne Haskins and what crap show that might entail would be that they're going to have to make some investments in that offensive line because moving forward, it's going to have to be run and pound classic Pittsburgh Steeler play defense type of team in order for them to maintain competitiveness. Like I said, unless they wind up pulling off a really good quarterback along the way, even if it wound up being Jimmy Garoppolo, they still have to be a run first team. So Najee Harris kind of falls in the situation of, I know you're going to be a workhorse. The team should build their offense around you moving forward because of all the question marks at the quarterback position. And therefore, for his fantasy value, I'm big on him being able to repeat a similar performance. And what happens if that offensive line does get better? What happens if his numbers not only match the volume, but also have the efficiency to go with it? You're talking about a guy who truly... And I'm not being, I'm not speaking hyperbole uh, here. I can't speak right now. I am not over exaggerating. We'll say it that way since I can't talk. The idea that Najee Harris could be an RB1 overall next season if you combine his volume with the potential of increasing the efficiency. But it comes down to what are the Steelers going to do this offseason? Now we start to get into two guys that everyone's going to have probably controversial takes about as we move into the you know into the season. Sorry, really diving into who's ranked where. We have Derrick Henry at seven, Christian McCaffrey at eight. So Derrick Henry, 75% of his games, he finished in the top 24. Christian McCaffrey, 71% of his games, he finished uh, in the top 24. Henry played eight games. Christian McCaffrey played seven. That includes the games in which they got hurt in. So that already is a bodes well. Are these guys going to be top three picks? Can you justify them being top three picks? I think that's what it all really boils down to. And I think with Henry, I think there's probably a little bit less concern just because of the way he's built. He's built like a guy who does have a legitimate chance to make it all 17 games as a workhorse back. It was a fluky type of ankle injury, but it wasn't, it wasn't Achilles. 
It wasn't like a knee injury. It wasn't an ACL. It wasn't an MCL. He made it back by the end of the year in the playoffs. What clearly wasn't 100% healthy, but he was able to healthy enough to play in that game. So I think most people feel like he'll be fine come training camp time. But everyone keeps asking themselves with the 17-game season, can these guys last? And if they can't, how many games do they miss and how much is acceptable? Well, for me, I think if you're a running back who's getting a workload, especially like a Derrick Henry, we'll get into that in a second, and you miss two or three games, I think that's more than acceptable. Yes, timing could be everything, of course, but you have no control over that and no way to predict that, and you can't draft based on that. But I am willing to bet more than not that Derrick Henry has as good of an opportunity as anybody to go 17 games next season. The pace he was on was insane. He was on a 465 carry pace. He was on pace to go over 2,000 yards rushing again, and he was also on pace for over 20 rushing uh, rushing touchdowns. He was top five, 50% of his games that he played. I mean, you know, if you had Derrick Henry that first half of the season, you thought you were on your way to a championship, and all you had to do is not screw it up. I don't see that changing. Does anybody? Even if Julio Jones were able to stay healthy, even if Ryan Tannehill was to play better and A.J. Brown was able to stay healthier and that passing game wouldn't be in shambles like it was a season ago, does anybody really believe this offense is not going to ro- rotate first and foremost around Derrick Henry? It's not going to change. This is this team's identity. And he's still young enough where I think he could do it for another season at least. So Derrick Henry, he's going to have to be in the conversation, and I'm not going to be scared off by him because he missed half the year last year. Not when you're talking about a guy with that size, that ability, with that role, and that volume in that offense. Just, I'm just not, not going to question it. But then it goes to Christian McCaffrey. Now, Christian McCaffrey, of course, a little more hesitation there because now we have two seasons back-to-back where he wasn't even to play half the year. So now you really have to ask the question, okay, what do you do about Christian McCaffrey? Because you know he's going to wind up being valued, being ranked. His ADP will probably be in the first round heading into 2022. If you're in dynasty leagues and you're competing for a championship, you probably feel like you have a much better chance with him than without him. If you're not competing with a championship in a dynasty league, I think it gets real simple for you real fast because I think it's just that you, you know that you have to trade him before it's too late, I think. While he still has a ton of value, while he can make the pitch to a team that is competing for a championship, like, hey, look at Christian McCaffrey. Why? Because Christian McCaffrey still, weeks one and two, was the second running back overall to Derrick Henry. Weeks 9 through 11, when he came back, and I'm, I'm excluding his two games where he got hurt in, in this scenario. Weeks 9 through 11, when he came back, he was the fourth running back overall. And he wasn't getting as many touches, quote-unquote, as he was the season before in those games. But this is the thing about running backs who get a ton of targets. In his pace, and I know he only played about seven games, though, In his pace, he was on pace for 99 targets last year. 
even if he winds up being a guy who gets 14 to 16 carries a game, but he maintains his passing role, which is very likely to happen next season. Even if they bring in somebody, because I don't know if it's Chuba Hubbard. You saw as the season wore on, they wanted to go to Amir Abdullah more than Chuba Hubbard. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to bring in somebody else. But even if they do, McCaffrey's healthy in a game. He's probably getting somewhere between 14 to 16 carries. As long as he maintains his receiving role, Christian McCaffrey will be an elite running back and a safe one at that with RB1 potential every single week because of his ability. Again, they're another team where quarterback-wise, there's always so many things they can do. Everybody wants to talk about like, well, you know, they'll, they'll improve, they'll get somebody else, they'll get Sam Donald out of there. Who, who are they bringing in? And unless they bring, even if they brought in an elite quarterback, why would that affect Christian McCaffrey in a negative way? If this offense improves and McCaffrey's there, then his numbers just go up too because the offense in general will be in more positions to score. It doesn't take away from him, especially talking about a guy who is as gifted in the receiving game as he is. I think there's a true argument to make him the RB1 overall. Now, will I make him that next year? No. Like I said, I think that belongs to Jonathan Taylor because of what he did this past season, not only on the field, but the fact that he was able, he was available for the field all season long. I think that accounts for something. That's why he's going to have to be my RB1. But would I be hard-pressed to say that I might be making Christian McCaffrey as my RB2? No. Are you going to be hesitant about that because he had two seasons in a row now where it's been less than eight games? Sure. Can I argue against that? No, not particularly. It's It depends on how risk-adverse you are. But I think it actually would benefit him if they were to bring in somebody to take some of that rough, short yardage situations from him. Not necessarily goal line, because I don't think he's going to lose the goal line. But the third and ones, the third and twos, maybe takes a series off here and there. I don't think that would hinder him from a fantasy perspective all that much because, again, he's such a weapon in the passing game. We've seen Alvin Kamara for how long now finish as a top five, top three running back, even though he's splitting carries because of the receiver that he was. Why is that different for Christian McCaffrey? I don't think it would be. One more guy I want to get to for the break, and I'll I'll mention him real quickly, and it is Alvin Kamara. Look, as far as his off-the-field issues go, it's going to be in March as far as his hearing is concerned. We don't know anything. Will it lead to a suspension? From what I understand, it doesn't sound like it's going to lead to any jail time. And Kamara's in a tough spot, man. He he was in my RB9 consistency-wise. He's he's on a four-way tie with... Dalvin Cook, DeAndre Swift, Joe Mixon all came in at 69% starter consistency. 31% of the time they finished outside the top 24. There's so much in flux with the Saints in general outside of Kamara's off-the-field issues. He is really a tough guy right now. Dynasty, I don't think you can really sell him. I mean, you could, but not for what he's worth. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. 
Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. And in redraft league's coming up, I don't know how you can be all that confident in him. He finally gets the carries that we wanted him to get, but it came at the cost of the targets, which is are just much more valuable. Who's going to be their quarterback next year? Dennis Allen takes over as the head coach. What is that going to mean? I think I think it's more important about who the quarterback's going to be than anything else. But regardless, whether it was Winston, whether it was Taysom Hill or Trevor Simeon, none of them really dumped the ball off to Kamara quite the same way they did with Drew Brees. It wasn't just a quite the same level. And it, it, it paid the price. He paid the price fantasy-wise. He is going to be a tough guy. Until we get more clarity, he is going to be a tough guy to rank heading into 2022, including in Dynasty League. Because again, you're in a situation where I think your best move right now, if you're in Dynasty, is you have to hold him. You're not going to sell him for what he's worth because to you, if he's on your team, he's an elite RB1 in your mind and should still be. The talent's still going to be there. The offense is still most likely, as long as he's available and not suspended, going to have to revolve around him. You're going to hope he gets back to receiving the ball a little bit more, but that doesn't change. But nobody's going to give you elite running back value in return with so many question marks for him off the field and for the Saints in general, which are going to have one of the most interesting off-seasons, off to say the least to see if they can come out on the other side of this thing because it's about to be a whirlwind, a black hole, if you will. With a salary cap, not having a true quarterback, a change in regime that you didn't necessarily want to have with Sean Payton retiring, there's a lot up in the air. A lot up in the air. But I want to take a quick break. We come back on the other side. We still got more things to talk about from a running back consistency grade standpoint. So everybody stay tuned to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on Belly Up TV, and we'll be back right after this. Exciting news just came across from our friends at Manscaped. They just launched their fourth generation performance package. This ultimate package includes the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Manscaped, the leaders in male grooming, have done it again to make your grooming game next level. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with the new performance package 4.0. By going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. The Performance Package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived, and oh man, it was worth the wait. Inside this package, you'll find our Lawmore 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at manscaped.com. Your balls have been through enough this past year, so treat them with the best tools for the job from Manscaped. And we are back, MD Nation, on the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on BellyUpFantasy. Dot TV powered by Tiki Live, also available to you on your Roku channel when you download the Belly Up Sports channel there. Find us after the show on your favorite pod streaming app. Subscribe to us on YouTube so you never miss any content from us. And follow us on social media 
at BillyPimpDFFShow. When the offseason starts picking up, we're going to get those player news notifications out to you ASAP. We're talking about our running back consistency grades. Continuing on our off-season track, we did the quarterback consistency grades about two weeks ago. Make sure you go back and listen to that if you hadn't had a chance or watch that, if you get the opportunity to do so. It's really fun doing the running back consistency grades because you get a little bit more of a perception versus reality, a little bit more of a differential between how consistently they finish inside the top 24 and where they actually finished as far as scoring goes. But let's continue on our list here. So number 10 was Dalvin Cook. There's not really much to say in Dalvin Cook's case. Kevin O'Connell becomes a new head coach. I don't know if that's really going to change all that much for Cook himself. But the guy I do want to get into, DeAndre Swift, who's technically tied with Dalvin Cook there. He's an interesting case. He was RB7 from weeks one through 11. And he did that without ever really being the top guy. He had the one game where he had 33 carries outside of that. He never had more than 14 carries. That's it. That one game, he had 33 carries. Otherwise only had 14 carries still finishes as the RB seven based on half point PPR scoring because how involved he was in the passing game. Now, obviously, part of that is due to the fact that Detroit Lions didn't have a ton of weapons to go to. It was TJ Hawkinson, really, in the beginning of the year. And then we all know St. Brown had a great run at the end, but that's also when DeAndre Swift wasn't playing as much coming off the injury. So it's going to be kind of curious to see, but I don't see Detroit going into being a, a juggernaut team where they all of a sudden get all these weapons. So the odds are pretty good that Swift will maintain a large passing role. Because of Jamal Williams had a couple of years on his contract, he's probably not going anywhere either. So I don't think these roles are going to change. No, I don't think Craig Reynolds is suddenly going to be a significant contributor because he had a couple of good games last season. No, they're paying Williams too much and Swift's the future of this team as far as offensively speaking goes. So that they're going to maintain, I believe, their roles. It's just going to be a matter of do they get anybody else to take away some targets from Swift. But ultimately, we know Jared Goff's a check down guy and who better check the ball down to Swift. So I do think a performance is repeatable for him where you're talking about a guy who's a low in RB1, high in RB2. If he has games where Jamal Williams is out, he's proven he can do a little bit more in those scenarios. But as far as his pay, as far as his average his average goes. He had 6.7 targets per game. Had he been able to play all 17 games, he would have been the number one target at a running back at 114. So that's where Swift, I think, is here to stay from that standpoint. Can he get a little bit more efficient when he has the ball in his hands? Can the offense in general get a little bit better? Those are the questions. But for me, I think he's established that he's got this type of floor. He's a baby Alvin Kamara with a coaching staff that's familiar with that kind of a formula. So that's why I think it's here to stay. We got to talk about Joe Mixon. Now he comes in at number 12, consistency-wise for me, but really, I mean, he's tied with Kamara at 9, Dalvin, and DeAndre Swift, 69% of the time inside the top 24. Man, was he a controversial topic last year because you had the people of like, look, it's setting up for Joe Mixon for it to be his year to finally be an RB1. But of course, the question was, you know, can he ever stay healthy? Well, he did it this year. Now, he had a couple games where he was banged up, but he played 16 games. Can't complain. 16 games in a year in which very few running backs are able to hit that mark. 
And he was able to tough it out, and he proved something. And they got to the Super Bowl as a result. And he was the main guy. He tied for first. He tied for first with Jonathan Taylor for top five finishes with seven. And by the way, as the season wore on, Joe Burrow was getting more and more pass attempts. Well, that didn't really take away from Joe Mixon. He was still getting 16, 17, 18 carries, even up to 23 a couple times late in the year, even when Joe Burrow was getting 35-plus pass attempts. So those two worlds are able to exist. Zach Taylor comes from the Sean McVay tree where they're going to run a more up-tempo offense but still keep a balanced approach. I think with Mixon, the only question becomes health. We know after this past season, the Bengals are going to have to address that offensive line because you can't keep getting Joe Burrow killed. I think everybody had their heart leap into their throats in the Super Bowl when he saw him come crashing down on his knee again. And this time it was a good knee. Which will definitely benefit the offense as a whole, but will benefit Joe Mixon too. So Mixon's going to be a real curious one to see how that all plays out. Then we get into Aaron Jones. We start to go to the next, the next level here. So Aaron Jones comes in at 13th for me, 60, in a three-way tie with Damian Harris and James Conner, 67% of the time, finishing in the top 24. Obviously, a lot of that coming in the beginning part of the year, but I want to focus in on when A.J. Dillon started to become a real significant thing, and he was involved here and there, but he became pretty consistently involved from week 10 on as far as his overall usage, and especially in the running game. And that's also when you know Aaron Jones got hurt in about week 11. So he was kind of dealing with that. They were kind of trying to manage him the rest of the year because they knew they were going to the playoffs at that point. You're not trying to get Aaron Jones hurt. But he did come back and play after just missing one game because they had the bye week and they all kind of lined up nicely for them. During weeks 12 through 16, when both guys were involved in nearly a 50-50 way when it came to snap share, it was a 60-40 split in favor of A.J. Dillon when it came to the carries. But even while managing Aaron Jones, it was still a 60-40 split in his favor when it came to the receiving game. I don't know if we're going to quite have those splits heading into the next season, but I do think that kind of idea, that kind of workload is still going to be in play. I do believe if, if all things are equal and both guys are healthy, I think Aaron Jones will be playing ahead of A.J. Dillon, both in the carry and the receiving category. But I think it might be very close to a 55-45 type split heading into the season when they're both healthy, especially on the carry standpoint. Now, I know pass-catching-wise, A.J. Dillon, I think, proved to everybody, even the Packers, that maybe he's a little bit better in that category than a lot of us had previously thought based on his college production. But what the Packers showed you is that even when they're trying to manage Aaron Jones, they still rather have him, who's a more explosive pass catcher out of the backfield, and it makes sense, to be involved more so in that capacity. So I do think a 60-40, 65-35 split in favor of Aaron Jones in that territory, I think that's going to remain to stay. So Jones is still going to be the running back, I believe, heading into next year that you're going to want to have. The question that both these guys ultimately face is that, is Aaron Rodgers your quarterback? And if he's not your quarterback, how good is the offense in general? So that that question still has to be answered before we know exactly where we're going to be valuing these guys. And I think regardless of whether Aaron Rodgers stays or not, the days of Aaron Jones 
being talked about as a first round running back, a first round player in general, I think are out the window because we know AJ Dillon's going to be involved just enough. And we do have the scenario in which, yeah, Aaron Jones has been a very good red zone running back, but it would shock anybody if they decide to start giving those to AJ Dillon as a short yardage, take the beating down low in there. No, I don't think it would shock anybody. And it's something you're going to have to factor in when you're projecting an Aaron Jones and an A.J. Dillon where you have these guys at. I think it's far more likely that Aaron Jones will be a guy that you're talking about in the second round at the latest beginning of the third round and talking him more as an RB2 with upside, along with A.J. Dillon being more of a low-end RB2 flex play, kind of like a Kareem Hunt to a Nick Chubb, A.J. Dillon to an Aaron Jones. But even that, again, is still that's still best-case scenario if they can have a quarterback position figured out and if that offense can maintain a high level of production. That all still needs to be answered. So we move into the next guy, and I think this one's interesting, and we won't spend too much time on it, but Damian Harris comes in at 14, 67% of the time, finished in the top 24. He was 13th overall in scoring. 41% of the team's carries. Stevenson had 27% of the team's carries. Here's the big bugaboo about the whole thing. Brandon Bolden had 49%, or no, I'm sorry, 49 targets of the running back group, which was more than double of either Harris or Stevenson. And this is, we know this, this is where the Patriots always get frustrating. Now, my hope would be that you throw out Brandon Bolden, and you allow Stevenson, who has pass-catching acumen, Damian Harris, who also, coming from college, had pass-catching acumen, and you allow them to be involved in that type of role. And you allow these guys to be more of a 1A, 1B situation. Because I think both of them could be arguably, you know, in that RB2, certainly high in RB3, but a solid RB2 range. Both of them could. Because I still believe this is going to be a run-first offense next year. Mac Jones will be developing along, and he may take another step up. But the Patriots have to address the wide receiver position. They spent so much money, stupidly, on Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. I don't know if they definitively make a significant upgrade next year. They might draft somebody to develop, although they don't have the best track record of developing outside wide receivers. So I'm going to be curious to see if they do make any kind of significant improvement to the outside. Maybe Janu Smith gets more involved in the passing game. I mean, he's got nowhere to go but up. But I do think this team's still going to be centered around the running backs. Now, of course, McDaniels takes the head coaching job to the Raiders. And there's been some talk. I, I guess I shouldn't be shocked, but I'd be a little bit surprised. There's been some talk that the Patriots won't bother to bring in an, an offensive coordinator because they brought Joe Judge back in to be an offensive assistant with the staff that they have. Look, I, Joe Judge was a special teams coach before he came, and he fired Jason Garrett, and I know it was Freddie Kitchens kind of calling the plays for the most part, but anybody who had a hand in telling Jake Fromm, the quarterback sneak from his own five-yard line when you're only down by a score in the first half of a game shouldn't be touching any offense, period. That should not be a scenario in which it's happening and would not give me confidence when I'm trying to look at this Patriots situation offensively and what they have. But if Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson can go to a 1A, 1B situation, I think there's a lot of value to be had, especially from a consistency standpoint. They may not win you the week, 
but they're going to give you a solid floor week in and week out. So now we get to the now we get to a guy, James Conner. One of the most, you know, one of the favorite topics to talk about. He's 15th in consistency. He was fifth overall. So he's one of our big discrepancies as far as his consistency versus where he scored. He scored much higher than where his consistent finishes were. And ultimately, this comes down to the touchdowns. 67% of the time, he finished in the top 24. He had three top five finishes. It's all very good. 15 rushing touchdowns. Second in goal line carries. And from week three on, he dominated. Now, this is in correlation with why Kyler Murray was not quite the fantasy asset that we expected him to be. Remember, Kyler Murray started off the season the first three weeks. He scored rushing touchdowns. After that, I think he had one more game in which he scored two, but he didn't have any other rushing touchdowns besides that because James Conner had been so efficient, they just kept giving him the ball there. And it makes sense from a longevity standpoint. You don't want your quarterback taking that beating at the goal line if you have a guy who's being very efficient and good and more built to take that punishment in that scenario. But Connor wasn't involved in the passing game. And when Chase Edmonds was out there, they were basically in a 50-50 split when it came to the actual carries, too. The difference was Connor's got the touchdowns. That's what that's what made the difference, ultimately speaking. But 15 touchdowns. That touchdown rate that Connor has is not something I believe you can expect to repeat itself. So I don't think we're going to get a repeat performance out of a James Connor. I think there's a really nice season. I think they will bring him back for a similar role in mind, but I don't see it playing out exactly the same way. But it's interesting. He was fifth in scoring, but still only 15th in consistency. Again, because he was so dependent on those touchdowns. And he wasn't as involved in the pass game due to Chase Edmonds. Here's another guy we're going to talk about a lot this offseason. <laughs> Everybody's going to talk about this guy a lot this offseason and what to do. And that's Ezekiel Elliott. So I think from a dynasty standpoint, it's pretty simple. If you're going for a championship this year, it makes some sense for you to hold on to an Ezekiel Elliott. Why? Because of his contract. He's still going to be the lead back next year, guys. You're going to hear a lot of fantasy football experts out there clamoring, preaching that Tony Pollard is going to take over the backfield this season. And I'm not going to sit here and say that that shouldn't happen or that it definitively won't happen. What I am going to say to you, though, is this. As long as Zeke is healthy, it ain't going to happen at the beginning of the year, at the very least. Because he's making too much money, and they can't get out of his contract without taking some astronomical hit this season. Which traps them, basically, in the situation they find themselves. Which is, Zeke's got to play. Look at last year. Look at last year. Yes, Tony Pollard was more involved than he had been the previous year. Cool. Zeke was dealing with a knee injury, an MCL injury, and still was not getting out-touched by Tony Pollard, even when Pollard was healthy. He wasn't as efficient. He wasn't as good. Pollard definitively looked like the more explosive, looked like the better back. It did not matter. They still gave more touches to Ezekiel Elliott, and not just in the carry game, but in the passing game too. 
Now, one of the significant reasons for that is that Ezekiel Elliott, even in his, you know, declining skills, is a better pass protector. And I think that was part of it. And they were dealing with several games where Tyrone Smith was getting knocked in and out of the games or dealing with a nagging injury here and there. And they want to make sure Dak Prescott's getting protected the best he can. That's not going to change next year either. So as long as Zeke's out there, I still believe he'll get more volume than a Tony Pollard. Now, will it be as effective? It will be as efficient? Probably not. But it will hold Tony Pollard in check. Zeke, kind of like Connor, big discrepancy between where he scored and his consistency. His consistency grade is much, and I'll throw it up the graphic up again, his consistency grade is much more in line with, I think, the player you felt like you had if you had Ezekiel Elliott last year. He was 16th. But he was six in overall scoring. When you go into next season, the 2022, whether it's best ball or redraft leagues or what the case may be, you should be drafting Ezekiel Elliott based on his consistency grade, not on where he finished last year. There's going to be people last year be like, oh, he was hurt. The offensive line was banged up and he still finished a six overall in scoring. That kind of goes back to the fact that even though Ezekiel Elliott was banged up, he still managed to play 17 games, believe it or not. He still didn't miss any games. Wasn't always pretty, clearly wasn't always 100% healthy, but he didn't miss any games. That alone pretty much got him there. Got him to, technically speaking, an RB1 finish. And maybe he can stay healthy next year. I'm not going to say it's out of the realm of possibility, but I would say it's more unlikely than not. you got two seasons in a row now he's been dealing with nagging injuries. He's clearly getting a little bit slower. He's clearly getting a little bit of a decline. And you still have Tony Pollard there, the threat of Tony Pollard. So Elliott should get drafted as an RB2 next year. But I do think he winds up being next year's Josh Jacobs. Nobody went to touch Josh Jacobs. Like everybody kind of like, like they, they, they realized like, all right, his value can't go any lower than like a third round pick. But no one really wanted to touch Josh Jacobs because everyone thought he just, he had no ceiling. But yet, as we showed earlier in this show, Third in consistency, finishing inside the top 24. So he gave you an advantage more times than not than almost any other running back out there. He was a starter more times than not than almost any other running back out there. I feel like Ezekiel Elliott can wind up in a similar position where no one's really going to want to touch him. He's not really going to have the big exciting ceiling that you want to have when you draft somebody in fantasy football. But because of his volume, his stature on the team... He's going to produce, and it shouldn't be slept on. But he's going to be an interesting guy to talk about throughout the year. Let's get into Antonio Gibson real quick. We want Gibson to catch the ball. We do. We need Washington to get a quarterback, another team that needs a quarterback to really truly improve. It would be curious to see what they're able to do, if anything at all. Yes, the Washington Commanders, I know. Gibson was 10th in scoring last year, 17th in my consistency grades. Finished in the top 24, 63% of the time. More like 62. If you look at the graphic here, we have him at 63 and his non-star at 38. Yes, I know. I can do math. That's technically 101. Keep in mind, when we do this in the algorithms, we go to the decimal point, and then we round up for the graphic. So relax. <laughs> relax. I've had people last week like, oh, they can't do math, blah, 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 blah. It's a round figure. When we do this on, you know, on the Excel Excel sheet here, we get it down to the decimal point. So just about 63% of the time, a little bit less, he finished in the top 24. 
Weeks 1 through 12, he was the RB16. He moved up to the RB12. Weeks 13 through 18, of course, those weeks without J.D. McKissick. So he was finally allowed to be involved in the passing game at least a little bit more once McKissick went out. The one thing you could say is that he proved that he can handle the workload. Now, whether they let him do it again next year, I don't know. But he proved that he could handle the workload. Even though he had a shit injury most of the year, somehow playing through it, he was able to get better health-wise. I don't know how that works, but he, he managed to do it, and he looked better towards the end of the year anyway and took on more of the volume when McKissick went down. If he ever gets involved in the receiving game the way that he should, you're talking about a guy who very well should finish as a top six running back. Now, am I going to draft him that way? Absolutely not. Do they need to get a quarterback? They absolutely do. But Gibson's going to be one of those guys that I'm going to be sitting and waiting to see how this offseason plays out because he's got a chance to rise. Now let's get into like some of our later on running backs here. When we get into that like 18 to 36 range, guys that we're talking about around this area of what can we expect heading into next season. Let's Kareem Hunt's at 19. Darrell Henderson finished at 20. James Robinson at 21. Obviously, there's not much to talk about there. Look, Hunt has Chubb. There's only so far he can go. Henderson's going to be back up to Cam Akers. And James Robinson, even if he sticks around, is going to have to deal with Travis Etienne. So all those guys are, are going to be, we'll wait and see what happens. So we get back to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who is 50-50 as far as finishing inside the top 24 and not in the 10 games that he played. There's a lot of question marks here, right? He was the RB29 from weeks one through five. He didn't score any touchdowns. That was the big reason why he was the RB5 during that stretch. And then he got hurt, came back weeks 11 through 15. He was the RB16 during that time. The big difference being he had four rushing touchdowns from weeks 11 through 15. It helps. But Clyde Edwards-Lair would seem to be relevant to everybody. And then he got hurt again, by the way. That's, That's not to be thrown out the window. What seems to be relevant to everybody is that clearly... The Chiefs, as that season wore on, seemed to think that they needed to pair him up with Darrell Williams. Even when he was healthy for that month stretch between 11 and 15, he didn't get all the work to himself. The Chiefs didn't put him in a position to get all the work to himself. This is a first-round running back. You draft a first-round running back in today's league, he's supposed to be able to handle a workhorse role. They have no intention of that happening. And because of his inefficiencies in the red zone... You're just talking about a guy who could really bottom out on you at any given moment. And while he was the RB22 existency, I don't think he's a guy you can draft as an RB2 heading into next season. There's too much bust to his game. If he was to be more involved in the passing game, this would all change. But even in that capacity, his usage is not consistent. So I worry about Clyde Edwards-Alaire and what kind of upside he truly has. Now, another guy who's going to be interesting is, is Elijah Mitchell. He comes at an RB23. He was 25th overall in scoring, so pretty close to the mark. He'd almost at 19 carries a game in the games in which he played and started. But he had less than two targets a game. What happens next year? We know Shanahan's history, typically speaking, is a platoon situation. Do they bring back a Raheem Mostert? Do they bring in somebody else? I doubt it'd be Trey Sermon unless something miraculous were to happen between now and then. 
But these are all questions that are going to have to be answered with Elijah Mitchell. Now, if he comes into that similar work role, yeah, he's an RB2 you want to take. And within that offense, you could argue that if he gets a little bit more involved in the passing game, he could be a low in RB1. But now you have the rumors out there, not even necessarily rumors, but the narrative out there that Debo Samuel is going to stay in this wide back role that he was in towards the second half of the year and then throughout the playoffs. If that happens, Elijah Mitchell is never going to catch the ball. He's still going to get good enough volume to be an RB2, but he's never going to be in a position to catch the ball. Before we get out of here, there, there is one more guy that I want to talk about before we do. I, I just think it's going to be an interesting situation heading into next year, and that is Rashad Penny, Chris Carson. So Penny came in at 38th in my consistency grade, but it's important to point out, weeks 14 through 18, he was the RB1. Now, people want to get all excited about Rashad Penny, but keep in mind, he's never played a full season still. This was the only time he was ever actually good and efficient at any point in his career. Yes, weeks 14 through 18, the RB1, but Chris Carson got that contract extension. Doesn't go out the window heading into next season. So before you get too excited about Rashad Penny, just kind of keep that in mind. There are other other running backs we're talking about. We'll talk about them throughout the offseason. Again, once we go through the wide receiver consistency grades and the tight end consistency grades, these things will be up on BillyUpFantasySports.com. You can hit us up on social media at BillyUpMDFFShow. We'll talk about it then. We'll talk about it on these shows. Send in your mailbag questions. We'll get to them throughout the year. Make sure you're coming back every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. for new episodes or when we rebroadcast. We'll be promoting that out as well on BillyUpTV, powered by Tiki Live. Check us out in your favorite podcast apps. Subscribe to us on YouTube. And everybody have a lovely, lovely evening and we'll talk to you guys real real soon Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF.